This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series, a show in which I'm joined by a weird and wonderful variety of guests to talk about our beloved club. And today I'm joined very happily by certainly not one of the weirder sections, more one of the wonderful sections of our guests. It's Elliot. I mean, it's up to you whether you want to describe yourself that way, but how are you doing? You good? You well? I mean, I'm not well. Uh, I think we just discussed that <laughs> off, off camera. I'm not well, unfortunately. Uh All's good in Arsenal life and all's good in life generally, but no, uh, fighting what feels like the 10th or 11th bug of some variety I've had this winter. So I want to thank my children for being uh, Petri dishes. Thanks for that. Yeah. Indeed. Another reason I'm being given not to have children. <laughs> I, can't, I feel like every single time I have list. a guest on. <laughs> indeed. Every time I have a guest on that has kids, they moan about something. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm waiting for the positives. But yeah, it's, it will happen one day and I won't have any Well, there's all that love and support and laughter and family and someone to take care of you when you can't wipe your butt anymore. So, you know, there's all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, I guess so. I suppose there are some positives, at least. Some. Um, <laughs> we're here uh, today. And of course, this is kind of a, a back-to-back Arsenal Vision special, if you like. So we spoke to Paul yesterday, talking uh, about everything uh, regarding managing the run-in. Uh, and in today's show, what I want to do in a rather satirical fashion is ask you, Elliot, how we are so blessed as Arsenal because we have been incredibly fortunate, apparently, to be where we, we are, you know, because all that's got us to the top of the table is, is luck. Nothing else is involved, apparently, Correct. according to plenty of mm-hmm. uh, uh, suggestions. But uh, yeah, what would you put Arsenal's luck down to this season? Yeah, I mean, I think it's that Neptune is rising and Mercury's mouth shadow and the third moon is, uh, it could be that, or maybe it's the humidity. I, it's unclear. Probably the art around the Emirates, all, all yeah. of those things, really. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, it, it, look, to read about it, um, you would think that there is basically no other team playing in the Premier League and we are top of the table by default. But I think we know that the statistics and the eye test both tell us that's not the case. 
Indeed, it doesn't. Um, and yeah, it's kind of this. The idea of this show was kind of spurned from from an article that's gone out today, uh, kind of just labelling and listing off all of the reasons as to why we're not uh, in the position we are because of just pure luck. And actually, that not only are things we've done really, really well to get us where we are, but also there's been a lot of things go against us this season that we've had to fight back against. I want to start there. We've had two incidents so far this season of, um, well, one was an apology officially from PGMOL regarding the Brentford situation. And the other was the independent panel, which included a representative from PGMOL speaking, um, I think ESPN were the people that broke the story that deemed that Martin Erdegaard's intervention in the Gabriel Martinelli go at Old Trafford should have led that to stand. So what have you made of kind of Arsenal's fortune or misfortune regarding officiating this season? So the one thing I want to say is that I think fans have a survivorship bias or confirmation bias problem with officiating in the sense that nobody remembers the ones that went our way. We just assume they should have, right? Oh, we got a call. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. But we remember every little tiny one. I mean, I'm sure most people watching right now can catalog every call that didn't go our way. So, and that's not going to make people happy to hear, but like, frankly, when we beat Liverpool at the Emirates, we got a penalty. I think it's a penalty. Maybe it's a little soft, you know, but we got it. Nobody, nobody clocks that. Nobody puts that in their mind. Having said that, the one that really, really sticks in my craw, even more than the Brentford not drawing the lines one, which is totally ridiculous, of course, is, is the one at, at Old Trafford. Because I think what winning at Old Trafford would have meant, um, because that Martinelli goal would have been one for the ages. You know, I mean, if we do go on to do the thing this season, that goal would have been one of the ones we remember maybe more than any. And the way we were playing in that game, I really think if we get that goal, we go on to win and maybe even win handsomely. Um, as it turns out, we don't. They get to play on the counter, which suited them a little more at that time. And I think we know how it wound up. So there's no question in my mind that those two moments, the one at Old Trafford and the one at Brentford, are as black and white as they come. And certainly uh, there are others that I feel we haven't gotten in general. I just don't think Bukayo Saka gets the protection he should get when I see it compared against yeah. people like Harry Kane. Um, like another class, just a classic weird one um, against Leeds the other day. Trissard gets just crushed in the back in the box for nothing off the ball. Like it's a clear foul, not even looked at. So there have been some weird things. I, I will warn that I'm sure all of us at fans probably are not remembering the ones that went our way, but the yeah. one at old Trafford is the one that really, really uh, rankles for me. Cause that that's a result. I, I think we would have gotten and probably deserved to get. Yeah. I mean, it completely changes the context and now you're on the high of thinking you've scored and then all of a sudden you're behind and you've got to try and deal with that mental state, um, which unfortunately we didn't. It was actually quite, I think, uh, a little bit naive of a second half performance, obviously, where we overcommitted in that game and Man United really did punish us on the break with some uh, clinical finishes. Uh, but I, I do look at now where we've kind of come and the the adversities in the officiating side of things that we've overcome because I like to think that good teams and good enough teams take the referee out of the game, no matter how good or bad or the decision-making around. I know there are crazy examples that we've experienced this season, but across the course of a whole season, the really good teams will take the games away from the officials' hands. And I think that we've been able to do that. And I think that leans more into where Arsenal deserve credit is through the way that we've played, the style that we've played in. I think one of the big questions around Mikel Arteta at the start of his kind of tenure at Arsenal was what's his style? Because the initial... Uh, 
temptation was to make a comparison to Pep Guardiola. And yes, there are, are short comparisons between the two. But do you think it's fair to say that he has established his own style of play and we can see that on a on a weekly basis? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, by the way, I have to admit, I've just clocked the Rodegaard uh, on your and like I'm 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 so yeah, mad that I didn't slow, think of mate. it. <laughs> I got to get in on that. Um, you can sell those for sure. Um, but yeah, I think um, so. This is tough, right? I'm not a tactico, right? So that's not you mm. know, I, I, not that I can't watch football and tell you what I'm seeing, but I can't tell you like, well, the you know the libero inside wide you know, reversed flanker fullback. Like, look, I think there are things that we are doing that clearly are borrowed from Pep's approach. I think the way Zinchenko plays is similar to how we saw Cancelo play and how the, you know, the left back plays for Pep. I think the positional system is generally associated with Pep, although I don't know that it's sort of exclusive to him. Um, you know, we do some of the same, some of the same counter pressing in terms of the sort of three seconds with, you know, within three seconds of losing the ball, pushing up. But I think that there are variations on the theme for sure. And Mikel has talked about the way that he's varied it and made it his own. Um, you know, obviously this season you see a huge variation in that city have gone with more of a target man striker and we play more of a false nine, right? So that's, that's a clear difference maker. Um, I, the other thing too is in general, there's only so many things you can do on a football pitch tactically, right? Everything's been tried or done at some level. The suggestion that positional football is some innovation and nothing like this ever existed could probably be proven false by football historians. It is very clear that Mikel Arteta is influenced by the training and education he got under Pep. I also think it's very clear that there are variations to it and so I don't have a problem with it being associated closely with that style of football. But I, th I think Mikel probably doesn't get the credit he deserves for those tweaks and innovations. And I'd love to see more content out there calling out what those are so we can really get a sense of what Mikel Arteta football is and how it's its own distinguishable um, approach. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's at its core, obviously, is there's the group of players that are involved <clears> in it, the youth that's involved in it, and that mixture with the experienced heads that he is especially someone like Granit Xhaka that he's able to just turn around the entire career of and make yep. the fulcrum of the midfield. Um, and that combination has, has just run through. And it's I think the consistency as well of, of the messaging and the process behind everything, and yes, that's another dollar in the process jar, but it is the word that describes this team under Arteta the best because it's the word that he's used to describe the what he wants to go through with this team. And I think that we've seen that culminate in what we're seeing this season. So that's kind of the officiating and taking it out of their hands. The other part of this all is obviously the injuries. Uh, supposedly there are claims that Arsenal have been rather fortunate with injuries this season where other teams have not been as such. Now, I could list off, but it'd be pretty boring, the players that we've had injured. But obviously, we've lost our main striker for basically half of the campaign. We've missed Thomas Partey big games like Old Trafford and against uh, Man City earlier in, in this year as well, as well as other players like Smith, Rowe, Elneny, etc. What I want to ask you, though, is without bemoaning our genuine misfortune with injuries, is what do you think the injuries have taught you about what Arsenal and Arteta and Edu might need to do with the squad in the summer? Yeah, well, the first thing I would say is I think we've obviously done brilliantly to manage them. Um, I, I want to... I want to just call something out before I get into this, because I think the thing people don't realize is it takes luck to win a title, period. The team that wins mm. the title usually sort of outperforms their underlying metrics and stays relatively fit, 
right? So I'm going to give credit to uh, Andre Forbes at Andre F1989, who pointed me to this point that in 2019-20, when Liverpool won the title, they ran 25 points better than their expected points by understats model. Only twice in the last two seasons have the league winners overperformed by less than seven points, meaning that you're scoring some extra goals that the underlying metrics wouldn't say you are. You're performing at the top end of what your projection would be. You're getting sort of lucky. And then another thing that I'll call, call out is if you look at when Liverpool won the title, Van Dyke started all 38 games. Alexander Arnold, all 38 games. Jeannie Wijnaldum, 37 games. Robertson, uh, 36. Firmino, 38. Um, Sadio Mane, 35. Mohamed Salah, 34. Right? So uh, these are matches played, right? So if you look at their most important players, Mane, Salah, Firmino, Robertson, Wijnaldum, Arnold, and Van Dyke, they, they played somewhere between 34 and 38 games that season, Right? That's what it takes to win a title because the thing I think people continually fail to realize or not fail to realize, but fail to factor in is your backup's not going to be as good as your starter in most positions. Maybe up front, you have someone like a Leo Trissard who makes himself so valuable that now you're saying, is he a backup? Is he a starter? Right. But Rob Holding's not going to be as good as Saliba, right? Uh, Sam Bilakanga and now Jorginho, not going to be as good as Thomas Party. Right? And that's sort of how it works. Where I think we've gotten particularly unlucky is cluster injuries. For example, the fact that Saliba's out right now and Tomiyasu is out means that we can't move our best center back of last season, Ben White, to center back because yeah. we need to keep him at right back. Cluster injuries, again, up front. When we lost Gabriel Jesus, right? Um, and at one point we had Trissard out as well, then, and, and Nketiah was also out, right? You're starting to say, what are we going to do? We're going to play... Are we going to play Vieira on the wing? Or we get so? I think Mikel has done a brilliant job getting the most out of what's available. Because if you told me we would have to play a few months with Eddie Nketiah instead of Jesus, I would have said we would have dropped off massively. We beat United. We beat Spurs away. Eddie deserves huge credit for that. I think the signing of Trissard is obviously inspired and has allowed us to get through the remainder of Jesus's absence, and not just through his absence, but be stronger in his return. In terms of where they need to go next. I don't know that the injuries have taught us as much because the positions to me that still need to be looked at this summer are the positions where we're aging. And that would be Shaka's role in the left eight and Thomas Party's role in central midfield. And the fact that the Thomas Party backup that we bought in Jorginho is quite clearly a short-term solution to me yeah. suggests that we know we didn't need to go get the now, you know, the, the future solution this January because we still have that lined up for this summer. So I still think it's central midfield, the six, if you want to call it that, and the left eight, if you want to call it that, that would be my my first and foremost. Yeah, I think that that is the priority. It seems that that is information being that Declan Rice, it looks like he's the, the guy. Uh, yeah, the club see. are looking at their number one, even though obviously they pushed for Moises Caicedo in, in January because it was that Declan Rice wasn't available during that time and they wanted to ensure that they brought in that reinforcement because it was so key to bring someone in because as we've experienced, we are going to miss Partey here and there. He is going to be unavailable in certain fixtures. So having someone that's going to come in and with El Nenny's injury as well, you know, really compounding that issue also, we had to react and we did react. And I think Edu and the club deserve massive credit for reacting the way that they did, even though on deadline day, I'd say the mood around the Jorginho signing maybe wasn't the most positive in the world. But I think upon reflection, you know, 
what he's been able to do and what he's obviously the Aston Villa moment in particular you look at and go that is potentially season defining of a moment in a in a game in a season so yeah probably about where he really came from right like our history with taking players off Chelsea is is a painful one and I'm sure that that's mm. a big part of of what the reaction was about and fair yeah I mean you throw enough you know what a wall uh, some of it is going to stick Jorginho <laughs> yeah. stuck which seems to be uh, a positive one for that um and you know in terms of his long range shooting it's probably an analogy that fits that quite similar too um looking obviously at what you think of this Arsenal team overall and where you think it can go I know we've just discussed transfers but for me the idea of this season is not about it being the fluke that some people have described it as or just a one-off situation. It must be this process about establishing Arsenal as the force that it once was once again. Do you see evidence and suggestion? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And the same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with Mook Delivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. ...that tell you that is going to be the case. I mean, the obvious answer is yes. I think there's a more complex answer, but let's start with the obvious answer. You have the team that is best or second best in the league on underlying metrics, depending on how you want to do it. We're the best team in the league on points, which is all that freaking matters. But like, I think we have been the best team in the league this season. If you want to say it's Manchester City, be my guest. The fact that we're right there having that debate at all tells you how far we've come and how impressive we've been. I think the fact that we're doing it with the youngest squad in the league tells you that this isn't a one-off. Um, Bakayo Saka's, you know, not close to his prime yet, nor is Martinelli. Yeah. Martin Odegaard's just about to get there. I don't have to go through the whole team. William Saliba doing this at this age is extraordinary. And Aaron Ramsdale isn't anywhere close to goalkeeping prime. Zinchenko's just coming into it. Jesus is just coming into it. It it, it looks, we look poised to go from strength to strength as the cliche goes. Where I want to be careful though is to say, I think the power of this league financially and from a talent standpoint is so immense that I think linear progression is going to be hard to predict or expect. And what I mean is it wouldn't surprise you if a Newcastle got a lot better and a Chelsea turned things around just with the spending that they're willing to do and the talent that they've acquired. And, you know, um, I was going to say Tottenham, but they're irrelevant. They're never going to be any good. Uh, I actually think they're going the wrong direction. All kidding aside, you, you know, Manchester city will continue to be strong. Can Liverpool, turn it around. I mean, Nunez and Gakpo look like they could be quite good actually over the long term. Can they get a couple midfielders in like a Bellingham, right? Like a Connor Gallagher or something. And does that revitalize the Klopp system? There's so much financial might in the league and so much talent consolidated now in seven teams. I mean, it's really City, United, Spurs, Chelsea, Arsenal, Newcastle, Liverpool, <clears throat> that even if we're still good, all it takes is an injury at the wrong time or a few bounces going the wrong way and you pick up six fewer points than you expected and Champions League drains your resources that much more. And next thing you know, 
the next season is a battle for top four, not a battle for the title. So I, I expect we will continue to be very good and maybe even improve. But I think the team has to be vigilant and continue to add talent upon talent because that's what the other clubs are doing. And if you're not careful, given the way this league is being constructed right now, you can find yourself falling behind very quickly. Just look at Liverpool. They didn't sell. They didn't recycle maybe quick enough. They got a little bit old. And now they look a shadow of the team you expect them to be. It is so key. That midfield and that Liverpool team that wasn't addressed soon enough was was such a mistake by yep. by the club and one that really their fans. I, don't, I mean, I'm not engrossed in, in Liverpool fandom that, that greatly, but if it was, <clears throat> if we were talking on the Liverpool talk, you know, I would be certainly saying that you know it's disgraceful the way in which they failed to manage their midfield, the growth, the development of it, and ensuring its future. Whereas you look at Arsenal, you look at the links, the players that we're going for, you look at the evidence of the bids that we put in for someone like Moises Caicedo, even though, as you mentioned, Xhaka and Partey are moving on in years, there's real suggestion that we are looking to try and revitalize that area of the pitch in an area that we do need to revitalize. It's funny though, right? Because you, you could paint a picture where you say, all of a sudden, you know, no one was expecting it, but next season, Shaka really starts to look his age, and mm. Thomas Party can't stay fit, and Jorginho was well past it, and Arsenal didn't address it. And all of a sudden, despite all the great young talent, does that does that team yeah. maybe just fall not fall to seventh, but fall off the level just enough that all these hungry, talented teams around you pick off a few points, and suddenly it's a disappointing season. So it's a cautionary tale that if you presume you're on a path to just continuing to get better and better, you may find yourself going the other direction given the state of the league. Yeah, which may, would make it an even arguably a bigger failure if, if Arsenal do just for some reason not act upon what we all know is staring us blindly in the which face. I don't think they'll do, by the way. You know? No, of course. I certainly would be encouraged by what we've seen so far that they will indeed act upon it. Uh, last topic before we go on to the, the final thing I want to discuss outside of, uh, of well, the on-field stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be remiss of me if I didn't ask you about Liverpool this weekend. Uh, I saw you tweet saying that yesterday's game kind of embolden you somewhat to make you feel a bit better about the team that we're going to face on Merseyside on Sunday. Uh, but you, it's still impossible to get over the idea that we haven't won there since obviously somewhere like 2012. How are you feeling about that game and how confident are you now going into that game? That's really tough. Um, I wa- You watched yesterday's game, I assume. Yeah, it it's hard to imagine any reason we should be scared of this Liverpool in this moment. Mm. And yet, you look at their record at Anfield, they've conceded nine goals all season. When I watch them, I think to myself, how could that team with that defense only concede nine goals? But that's what they've done. And oh, by the way, along the way, they've beaten their biggest rivals 7-0 at home. They still have Salah and Nunez and Gakpo and Jota and Firmino. They still have Trent Alexander-Arnold who can create tons of chances from nothing and nowhere. And we love to concede offset pieces and things like that, right? And so I, I feel scared because of our track record at Anfield and because of their home record. But when I watch them, I can't imagine why we should be scared of that team. The thing I think you pointed out already is without Thiago, their midfield is dreadful. Fabinho looks like he's 40. Um, Henderson looks like he's 40. They don't move well. The thing that's changed so much, Tom, is the intensity of their press has just completely dried up. And when you play around their press, suddenly you have acres of space to run into, and they don't track runners. Did you see how Zhao Felix was just dribbling his way through Chelsea players? I'm I through Liverpool players. Yeah. Can you imagine what yeah. Jesus will do? 
if that's what yeah, Jeff Felix can do. And, and, and if they do yeah. pick Trent, Martinelli is going to have the freedom of Anfield to run, run him behind Trent mm. who can't defend at all. Van Dyke, you know, I'm sure he'll start, but is he any good right now in his current form? I watched Real Madrid fall behind to them at Anfield and then just step on the accelerator and blow past them. Um, I, I don't see a reason to fear them other than the name on the outside of the ground and our track record there, but we're not playing the name outside the ground and we're not playing the track record. So if we go play the team that's on the grass, we should win. I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a score fest, but I still think if we, as long as we're not profligate, I think, I think it's a game we should win. And by the way, I think it's a game we have to expect to win and we have to win. Um, yeah. Any dropped points probably means we have to get something at the Etihad. But if we do our business everywhere else, we can afford to get whatever result we get at the Etihad and still be champions. So you got to go to Anfield expecting to win this game. 100%. Yeah, it was a worrying realization when someone said to me, if you lose at Liverpool, even though you're eight points ahead right now, it's then in City's hands. And if they have a perfect run, the title's theirs. And that, if, that is a, a, it's a damning realization. It's scary, right? If we lose at Anfield, which you'd be like, well, that's one of the ones we could lose. We could mm. be going to the Etihad with only a two-point cushion. And it makes you yeah. realize all of a sudden. Like, so, uh, look, you go into every game expecting to win it, demanding to win it. There's no game you roll over. But if we can create a situation where the Etihad result is immaterial, that would be ideal. Because right now, City away is the only fixture. I don't. We're good enough to beat every team in this league everywhere, including Manchester City. But City away is the only game I really would have us not as favorites in. I have us as favorites going to Anfield the way Liverpool look right now. So we yeah, gotta go win. I, I mean, a team that are twenty nine points behind you, you can't, you can't look in that game and go, Arsenal are not going to be here to try and go and win this game. It'd be ludicrous to think otherwise. Um, what's not ludicrous is the brilliant work that yourself and brilliant other people uh, around the club and outside of the club as well have, have contributed towards what is an amazing um, movement. I like describing it as a movement because I feel like the, the coming together of the Arsenal fan base is something that is so special. Um, Can you that refresh that page so that expression on my face changes? There we go. <laughs> Thank you. You realize this is the internet and it will be there forever. So. I know. <laughs> but what, what's brilliant about this is, as I said, I spoke with Paul yesterday and I brought up this same screen. And when I spoke just 24 hours ago, the number on that screen was less than 100,000. And you reacted to that by obviously putting up a video yesterday in which you said that you wanted to push uh, to see if we can get even more, which obviously is, was, was always going to happen because it's an amazing community that always wants to help out. And to think that 24 hours after that, we're now at 120. And I keep saying we because it's the terminology that you use. Because, no, you're supporting you know, it, what, so it's a we. Absolutely, yeah. And it is, it is a humble side that I think that it's not about spearheading something. It's about kind of guiding everybody towards the same goal, which is supporting this brilliant, brilliant thing. And for those that haven't seen the video, I encourage you to go and do that because Elliot's not going to sit around and talk here for half an hour about what he did. But go and watch the video on the, the Just Given page. The link is in the description. You can listen to the two episodes that Elliot's also put up on the Arsenal Vision podcast lines as well, which give you a real insight, a fantastic listen to some of the people not only working there, but obviously translations of the people that are experiencing day-to-day -day life uh, in the camp as well. But Elliot, just to give your brief summary and thoughts around this entire process and also to give some directions to people as well, just sure. go for gold. Let, let me tell the people the things that are gonna, that's actually self-serving and you're going to 
care about as, a, as an individual Arsenal supporter. If you donate to that campaign, you're entered to win a VIP box ticket for the Brighton game. So you'll be in a VIP box, food, drink, hang out with the podcasters, get to be part of the breakdown live show that they filmed from the Emirates. Uh, really extraordinary experience. You also have a chance to win uh, a shirt that Ian Wright wore during his playing days. He's going to sign it for you personally. Um, so one person will win that. If you prefer to just bid, by the way, there's an auction site listed there. You can bid on the remaining VIP box tickets. We also have a Chelsea um, club level ticket and a Southampton club level ticket, as well as other tickets to Chelsea and Southampton. Those auctions are going to close next week. So that's the self-serving part, right? If you just care about, I want tickets or I want to win, you can do it. The more, um, I think, emotionally impactful part is that I, I was fortunate enough to go to the Zattery refugee camp with Arsenal uh, last month. <clears throat> it was quite the expense and the journey to go, but how could you say no to that opportunity um, when you have the chance to go see the work the club is doing firsthand? Basically, they've taken what they do with Arsenal and the community in North London with these development programs for young people and transported it to one of the world's largest refugee camps. These people, the only thing they did wrong in their life is that they lived in Syria when a war broke out and their homes and their hospitals and their schools and their businesses were bombed and they had to flee. And now they call a refugee camp home. More than half of the 80,000 people living there are children. So the need is immense. And those children face gender-based violence, child labor, child marriage, and beyond. And so this program, through the allure of football, brings them in, coaches them, lets them play, lets them be young people, but focuses on their emotional well-being, right? Focuses on their advocacy for their own rights through uh, courses that are taught, resiliency programs that they teach. I met the parents. I met the kids. They've said that this has been transformative for their lives. It has gotten them back in school. It's got, they broke child marriages, took kids out of child labor and helped get them back on a path to where there's an, a, a hope for their future. Our club is doing something special here that other clubs aren't doing. And if you want to feel pride in the badge, this is as good a reason as any. And this is a, a, a fundraiser that supports them directly. And just one last point, the entire annual budget of this program is something we can make a difference in. Sometimes you give to a charity and it's a good cause, but it feels like a drop in the ocean. This fundraiser is going to directly impact the extent to which this program carries on. So I am so, so proud of it. So appreciative and grateful for the, the extraordinary display of generosity and philanthropy that people have shown. And our goal, as you can see, is a whopping 150,000 pounds, far beyond what I thought we could do. Now let's go smash that goal. And maybe you get to win a, a really once-in-a-lifetime experience to the Brighton game to see us maybe even um, clinch the title that day. You never know. Yeah, who knows? Uh, what an amazing opportunity, of course, for if, as Elliot says, if you are that self-serving person there, you can get Do some it. great stuff. Um, but even if Do you're it. not, you can still get your hands on it too and uh, and help an amazing cause in the process. Uh, myself, Elliot, Paul, John, Mike and Sophie are also going to be uh, doing a live show that we're joining forces for in Chicago uh, in just two weeks time, just over two weeks, two weeks and two days until that event takes place on the 21st. I asked uh, Dilly yesterday how many tickets left. She said a at best a handful so if you've not yet got hold of a ticket they are going very very quickly and uh, we encourage you to do so uh, at tgt we are contributing all of april's membership funds towards the fundraiser anything that is sold through the merch the half that would be going to the arsenal foundation anyway we're going to just put straight into the fundraiser and i'm actually Thanks, going Tom. to match uh, whatever total that is up to 500 pounds so i'm really looking forward to seeing uh, where this ends up Elliot, because it's an amazing cause and, and and you know you don't get told this enough but you do a fantastic job in this as well and um oh, and we're you. massively thankful for for you genuinely spearheading it so thanks for that it. and thank you for your time this afternoon i really appreciate it thanks for asking no problem tell people where they can find you and, and what your podcast is going to be up to yeah, so uh, the Arsenal Vision podcast can be found on all 
podcasting platforms and on this fine YouTube platform as well, if you prefer. Uh, we have our main pod of the week coming out uh, tomorrow or Friday. We're still sorting that out. Over on our Patreon side, we have an academy and uh, loan review with Kaya, Kain- Kaya Kainak coming out <laughs> uh, later today. We did a women's pod yesterday. We do instant reactions uh, right at full time of every match. So whether you want to just listen to the good old-fashioned free one or sign up to to follow us over on Patreon, we'd just love to have you as part of the podcast community. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I can't wait to see Kaya in the press box and say, go back and watch Elliot try to pronounce your name. It's great. Kaya Kainak. <laughs> what I said perfect. There you go. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. um, thank you, everybody, for listening. You can follow Elliot on Twitter at Yankee Gunner, where you can block him, as he always tells you to do. Um, you can follow myself at the Guna Talk TV and at Tom Cantor Media. We will see you again tomorrow morning, as always, at 8 a.m. bright and early for all the roundup of all the latest Arsenal news and more. We'll see you again soon. Have a fantastic evening. And as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.